in Jesus' name, amen. So until I had girls, I never really realized how hard it was to be a woman. Now, that sounds like a sexist statement, but stay with me here. Because guys, men, we don't get it. Now, ladies, y'all know this. You've known this for a long time. You've known this since you were little girls and boys were icky and had cooties. But we don't, we don't fully understand. And, and, and the more I thought about this, the more I, I, I have uh, been in the world of, of ladies that I, I realized that I had no clue of what it was like to be a woman. Allie recently, uh, well, a year or so ago, read a book uh, uh, written by a young lady named Malala. And she was, uh, she was in an Islamic country and... Uh, Long story short, it's a really interesting story, but she was shot because she was going to school, because she was a woman, and, and girls weren't allowed to go to school. And we, don't, we look at that and we go, man, that is barbaric. I can't believe that things like that are still happening. But there are things like, not to that level, but there are things happening even here in, in the United States. Like, like check this out. I will not be judged on my fashion, okay? Now, I'm a preacher, so uh, there are some people who get mad if I'm not wearing the suit and tie, but that's, that's different. But you're not going to judge my worth by, by the uh, price of my shoes. Um, nobody is going to go home and comment on whether Jeff's hair was done well or not. Exactly. Um, uh, but, but ladies, you know, you, you are judged by how you look, by your appearance, and you know that's a fact, and so you spend a lot more time on that than we do, because that is, it's one of those things, it's, it's you know that you're going to be judged by how you look, how you dress, how, those kind of things. I've never in my life felt that pressure. I, I don't have to deal with the salary differentiation. With, with, with a, a, a differentiation of salary based on my gender. It's well documented in the United States that, that women make 20% less than men for the same job. And even though that is technically illegal, there's really no enforcement of that law. Nobody goes around and checks it. You've never seen anybody be prosecuted because they pay women less than men. It's just a fact of life, and we kind of accept it. And we just look at it and go, well, that's just the way it is. Even more serious... I have never in my life been in a situation where I felt in danger of being sexually assaulted, ever. Now, I've been in dark alleys where I thought I might get beat up, and, and I've been threatened by people who, who said they wanted to do bad things to me, but never that. I've never gone on a date and had to have an exit strategy. What am I going to do if this girl's crazy? It doesn't work that way, but ladies, you know, when you get in that car, you have a plan. What am I going to do if this guy's nuts? Because that's a real part of your life. And, and we don't understand that. But even with all that, whatever women face today is nothing compared to what they faced in the Old Testament. When we go back into the Old Testament... It, there was a world where women literally had no value whatsoever beyond childbearing. And, and we, don't, we can't wrap our minds around that. Even the most stringent, the most uh, uh, the, the hardest, the, 
the, the, the, the Islamic laws and all these things that we see today. That's close, but, but it's still not to this level. You remember Judges? Do you remember the book of Judges? What do you remember about Judges? Judges was like the Avengers of the Bible, right? It's a whole group of superheroes, and they have stories, and, and they push down pillars, and they, 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 uh, there's, there's fleeces, and there's uh, those, those kind of things. Judges is like the Avengers of the Bible. That's what we were taught in Sunday school, but it's much worse than that. If you look at Judges, there's a cycle that happens. And, and, and in that cycle, the people, the Israelites, wander off, and they start doing things they shouldn't do. And so then as that happens, these other countries, these other people come in and, and start persecuting them and start, start threatening them and start, start overwhelming them so much so that they cry out to God and say, God, we need help. And so God sends a judge. God sends someone whose job it was to, to be his representative. And he delivers them. And they thank God and then they go back to doing what they were doing at the beginning. And, and if you read Judges, it's that cycle over and over and over. But it's even worse than that. Well, if you read this, let me read you a section that, that from, from Judges chapter 2. And this is kind of the, the cycle in a nutshell. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. That's that cycle, over and over and over. Same song, different verse. And, and there's a horrible story at the end of Judges. And, and I'm going to step real carefully here, so you're going to have to listen in code because we have mixed audiences and, and there's some little ears. But if you want to read the, the, the real horrible version, go read Judges 19 and, and you will read this story. It, the, Judges 19, there's this story of, of a, a Levite and uh, he makes a journey to go and, and, and bring his concubine back. And, and concubine, we have a struggle with that, but, but she's, like, she's like one of his wives, but not really a wife, so just we're not going to go around that rabbit trail. But at any rate, he, he brings her back with him, and they're traveling back. And, and late at night, they, need, they, they push on till they can get to a city of the Israelites. And when they get there, they're sitting in the town square, and nobody takes them in because that was a command. That was something that Israelites were expected to do, was offer hospitality to one another. And, and nobody takes him in. And so as it's getting dark, an old man comes by, and he says, what are you doing here? And he says, well, we were traveling through, and we, we've gotten here and this as far as we can go. And the man says, no, you don't want to sleep out here. This is not a place for you. You come into my house. And so he takes him into his house, and as he takes him into his house, a group of evil men surround the house and start banging on the door, and they ask the man to, to, they ask the, the man to, to push the traveler outside so that they can debase him. I picked that word carefully. Um, that there's, so that there are things that they want to do to him. And the man, the, the, the host says, no, don't do this horrible thing. Here, take my virgin daughter instead. And we read that and we go, wait, what? 
Because women had absolutely no value beyond childbearing. And so what you were going to do to a man is horrible, but here, you can do it to my daughter. And our minds just can't get around that. That setting, that world is the setting for the book of Ruth. That's the time that Ruth happens in. And so when we get that picture in our mind, when we start to see this story, we, we, we get a setting and we start to see that, that this book is something different. I, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I was always taught that Ruth was like the, the Julia Roberts romantic comedy of the Bible, right? It's the love story. It's the Hallmark movie. It's the, 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 the movie about the love between Boaz and Ruth. And it's one. It is so much more than that. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about our Sunday school teachers. That's how I would teach it in Sunday school, too, because some young minds aren't ready for everything that's in Ruth. But Ruth is a lot more than just a simple Hallmark movie. Ruth is a story. That, that's full of some amazing messages. There, there are a few things that we're going to see as we walk through this book. First of all, we need to remember that, that this is not the story of Naomi. This is not the story of Ruth. This is not the story of Boaz. This is God's story. God is the hero of the book of Ruth. Not any of the other people. This is all a story about God. When you read the Bible, it's not about Moses or David or, or Samson or, or, or even Ruth. It's the story of God, and it's God's relationship with his people. We've got to keep that in mind as we walk through Ruth. We also have to remember that, that this, is a, uh, this is an ancient book. It is, it is older than... than well, then a lot of people understand, but it, it was it, sometime after the time of David is, is, is when it was, was put out. And, and the narrator will even insert explanations in there because he's trying to explain things to people that happened in this story that, that they don't understand because too many years have gone by. We need to understand that because it's even further for us. We need to also understand the original story is not broken into chapters and verses. This is one narrative. It's one story. And so as we read it, it is, uh, it, it is uh, one story, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to unfold that way. And finally, I, I want us, as we walk through Ruth, to not flash forward. What I mean by that is... Don't jump to the end. You know what's going to happen. Most of you have read this book. You've been taught this book. You understand this story. You know the ending. But we miss the power of the story when we jump ahead to that part. Ruth and Naomi don't know what's going to happen. They don't know how the story's going to end. We don't, and, and because we know and we jump to that, we miss some of the, the potency, some of the power of, of the messages that are in this book. Because, see, Ruth is much more than a love story. Ruth is gospel. Ruth is good news. Now, what does gospel mean? It means good news, right? But if you're a, a foreigner, if you're a woman, if you're an exile, if you're a reject, what would be good news for you? See, in Jewish society, you could be a proselyte. You could, you could 
become Jewish and you could worship in, in a Jewish faith and, and, and you could follow the Jewish laws and, and you could go through all the Jewish rituals, but you would still never be a Jew because you couldn't do it. it it's impossible. It's by birth. And so you could never get into the chosen people of God. You could be counted among them, and you could be a, a sojourner, an alien. You, you could be a proselyte, but you could never be a Jew. No matter how righteous you were, no matter how great you kept the law, you might be called a God-fearer, but you would never be a Jew. During Jesus' time, there was a famous prayer that was routinely prayed by rabbis and Pharisees. God, thank you for not making me a Gentile or a woman. Ruth in this story is both of those. She has no prayer. She has no hope in this story. Because she is a Moabite and she is a woman. The beginning of this story is so hopeless. It's so... It's so hopeless that most of us would stop watching this show if it happened. You remember the you remember the TV show Lost? The the original premiere, the original uh, uh, pilot of that show was supposed to follow through the eyes of a, of a certain character, the Doctor, and and I don't remember his name. Kara could tell you, but uh, he he goes through, and you're supposed to follow him through this whole pilot and through this whole story and you become attached to that character and then at the end of the first episode they were going to kill him. He was going to die. And the network watched that episode and went, no, you can't do that. Nobody will watch another show. They'll never watch another episode if you kill the main character in the first pilot. And that's kind of like what happens in Ruth. Ruth, it's, it's well, if you have your Bibles, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In those days, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and live there. Now you're reading this for the first time and you're setting yourself up. Okay, this is the story of Elimelech. This is about this guy and his family as they're going to live in, in this foreign land. I'm, I'm ready for this. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And they not her two sons and her husband. And you start off thinking, here's the story of Elimelech. And, and this is going to be a story about this man going to live in Moab. And then you read a little further and you go, okay, well, this is the story about his sons and how they're going to pick up and, and, and go forward with this. And, and, but, but in the space of, of five verses, all the men are wiped off the page. And all we have are three grieving widows left behind. Now, in a male-centered culture that only ascribed value to women based on their relationships with men, these husbandless, sonless women had no value or interest to anyone. In, in many minds, especially in their own minds, this story's over. Five verses in, this story is over. Because women can't hold a job. Women can't own property. 
Women can't support themselves without a man. And these three women have lost every man in their world, in their lives. They have nothing. And their life is over. But this is where the story begins. This is where the story gets good. What, what should have been a story of tragedy and heartbreak is actually gospel. Good news. Ruth is not a story of hopelessness. It's a story of hope. That's, that's part of the gospel of Ruth, that, that there is hope, that there's a way, that, that you've been invited into the family of God, even if you're a Gentile, even if you're a foreigner, even if you're a woman. And that's good news, not just for Ruth and Naomi, but for us. Because we're Gentiles, we're foreigners. We can never be in the Old Testament part of the people of God. We could be God-fearers, we could be proselytes, but we could never be a Jew. And so what we're going to see through this as we walk through this book is that God is concerned about all people, everybody. God is concerned not just with His chosen people, but with all people, regardless of race, regardless of nationality, regardless of gender, regardless of status, God loves you, period. It's also going to be earth-shattering because he's going to say men and women are equally important to God. That God cares about men and women the same. We're all the same. We're all one in his eyes. While most false religions have been constructed over the centuries to, to elevate men and, and subjugate women. Christianity is the one religion that consistently honors men and women at the same level. There is no difference in God's eyes. There's no such thing as an unimportant person. In God's eyes, there's no such thing as anyone who, who don't count, as anyone who, who, who is not important. At the surface level, few people would see Ruth as an important person. She was from Moab, which was a, a nation that originated from a, an encounter between Lot and his daughter. And that's a, another horrible story you'd have to read to understand. But she is, she is a, a Moabite. She's a widow. She's living in a foreign land. And God sees her as important. God sees her as so important, she becomes part of his plan to bless the world. She becomes part of the lineage of the great kings, King David, and eventually the Messiah. God uses little things to accomplish great plans. There's an amazing plan, and, and God's going to orchestrate this series of little events. Hey, let me tell you something, and I, I'm not telling you this is, this is you or me, but this, I, there's no such thing as coincidence. God knows what's going to happen, and, and God uses those things to, to get our attention and to move us and to move His plan the way He wants His plan to go. And, and so God uses little things. We're going to see a ton of little things that happen and all these coincidences that happen that put Ruth in the right place and help things to go just the right way. And all these little things are just going to line up so perfectly and accidentally. But the big story of Ruth, is that it's a precursor, it's a foreshadowing of Jesus. 
God has a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer in place who can rescue us from our own hopelessness. God has a redeemer for our lives. God has someone who is going to come in when we're without hope, when we're without a future, when we cannot do anything to help ourselves, to save ourselves, to to matter or or to be part of his people. God's going to send a redeemer who is going to bring us into the family of God, to rescue us. And this morning, we're just scratching the surface. But as we move through this book, that's one of the things we're going to see over and over and over is that God loves you where you are, who you are, exactly the way you are right now. He loves you so much so that he sent a redeemer. He sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. This morning, that's that's the call. The call is to come to that Redeemer, to accept that redemption, to say, I admit, Lord, that I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, I can't do this on my own. I need you to redeem me. I need that Redeemer in my life. That's why we sing this song. That's why we do this, this call is because we're offering to you not come be part of our club, Not come be as good as these people are, but come join us in following the only one that's worth following. Come join us in being sinners who have been cleansed and forgiven and redeemed by Jesus Christ. That's the call. And if you're here this morning, we're going to sing this song. I want you to come down. We would love to help you uh, to, to connect with that Redeemer, however that is. Maybe you've already met Him. And, and somehow you've lost your way, and you want to come back, and you, you, you want us to lift you up so that you can, can reconnect with that. We would love nothing more than to help you with that. Maybe you're at a place in your life where you say, you know, I've tried this enough, and, and I want Jesus to, to take the reins. I want Him to take control. I'm tired of trying to do this myself. I'm going to let Him do it because I'm not doing a very good job. That, that's called confession. And when you confess that, when, when you repent, that means turning away from the way you were going. When you turn towards Him and you accept Him, you surrender to Him, and, and, and you visibly, you physically manifest that through being buried in water and raised to a new life. God says the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is going to come to live in you and give life to your body. We would love to help you with that. If you're online, you can't come down, send us a message, add a comment to this video, whatever it is that you need to do, we would love to reach out to you as well. However we can help you, I want to encourage you to come right now while together we stand and sing. Hide me away, O Lord, in the day of trouble neath the shadow